Hi, welcome to episode 16 of For What It's Worth Coaching Podcast. I am Coach Ty, and I'm here with... Coach Hines. Yep, and I just want to bring up, I'm here with a celebrity. Um, we got uh, back in August. <laughs> I just asked him why he was looking this yep. up. He's like, oh, I so, just for myself. Just for myself, so I can remind. Back in August, in FNF Coaching Magazine. Correct. You were number one in the most highly influential... influential uh, high school football coach. Going off Twitter. Go, going off social Twitter, media, yeah, Twitter and whatnot. Uh, it, it was a cool thing to be in the magazine. And I was humbled because I connected with a good number of the coaches that are, I think all the coaches that are were also on the list. Yes. And uh, it's just a cool platform, I think, for all of us. You know, social media, podcasts, just to, to reach and connect with people that, gosh, 10 years ago we would have never, outside of our little circle, the towns we lived in, connected oh, with. Definitely. And, and knowing you the past, what, four years, five years now? Four years. Four years now, uh, when you first moved out here from New Hampshire. Um, I can honestly say, you definitely, uh, Kurt is definitely what he says he is. And, uh, it scares me. <laughs> it is a little scary. But, you know, that means a lot. For what he says on there, and sometimes it's, it's kind of sickening. Because, uh, you know, you're on there on Twitter, and you, you get what you get. You know, when Kurt's not on Twitter, he's Kurt. Yeah. You know, when he's on Twitter, he's Kurt. It's, there's nothing different. He's on the football field, he's Kurt. I, 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 what do you mean by sickening? <laughs> no, I appreciate no, it. No, it, it's awesome to be, uh, to be able to uh, do these podcasts with you and uh, be your co-host on here. So we've talked about that a lot. Many, many times. Um, Mark, Mark and I, as he mentioned, uh, our families met in uh, church about yeah. four years ago, mm-hmm. and blessed to have connected on a lot of different levels as far mm-hmm. as our spirituality, our faith, our, our families, uh, our love for sports, mm-hmm. and, and the platform that that provides for us. Definitely. Um, but Mark, in several different times, has said to other friends or people like, oh, I'm his co-host. I'm like, we never established <laughs> that. He's not my co-host. We are co-hosts. Yes, that's true. Thank you, Kurt. I appreciate it. But everybody knows the truth. Anyway. <laughs> I'm just the eye candy. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, today's topic, we're going to talk about building or rebuilding uh, an engine or a football, baseball, or your team. Yeah, this, this actually stemmed from a conversation we were having. Uh, I'm excited for tonight. I think we, it's Thanksgiving, yeah. It's New Year's Eve, but mm-hmm. a few months ago we were having another bonfire yep. at your house. Uh, I feel safe having bonfires here in San Diego uh, where fires can be a scary thing. But, uh, Mark, by trade, former Navy uh, seaman. <laughs> Grown man still giggles at that. Yeah. But a former Navy seaman, uh, retired, thank you again, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, currently a, uh, a firefighter here in San Diego. So we have bonfires. So this, this whole topic today stemmed off, uh, Mark was sharing a little bit. I asked him, I said, what, what did you actually do in the mm-hmm. Navy? And, and there were many hats you wore in the Navy, but one of them really intrigued me, and, and uh, I asked him to touch on that today. He said he spent a lot of time rebuilding engines. I thought, man, that, there's a lot of crossover between that mm-hmm. and rebuilding a football team. As Mark mentioned, uh, anytime any coach or staff takes over a program, any level, any sport, they're, uh, they're rebuilding, kind of putting Definitely. their own stamp on things. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience with uh, building and rebuilding engines? So... As with any engine, anybody that's mechanically inclined or even worked on an engine, which I'm not, Jill is. But uh, I'm married up. <laughs> but uh, you know, with any engine, you know, it's going to take some time and some patience and uh, some TLC to keep that engine running. And sometimes, when that engine does get a little old, or um, and, and it's time to replace the seals 
replace uh, the oil, uh, replace parts that are keep the engine running, and uh, pretty much when a helicopter goes down or a a time limit comes upon uh, um, on the engine it gets taken off the uh, the helicopter and sent into a higher level maintenance that higher level of maintenance puts the engine on the stand starts taking apart all the parts off the engine replacing checking the insides making sure it works would you I, I'm, I'm going to stop you there for no, one no second because that just there in itself we all have different skill sets and talents and, and Mark joked about Jill knows how to do a lot about cars she does she, she's, she's far amazing, more gifted yeah. and talented than I in many things but that right there, taking the engine out of any vehicle mm-hmm. and setting it apart it is exciting to me but overwhelming to me also in, in so many ways. I know we'll get into how that, that correlates with uh-huh. a program or a team. But that alone, like like for you, they're like, oh, you just take it apart and you put it back together. Uh-huh. That's overwhelming for me. Right. Well, you know, what the nice thing is is like it, it, you're not doing it just off memory. You know, they have books and publications out there to where you go and read and make sure you're doing it the correct way and putting it back together the correct way. So, um, but you're not doing it by yourself, too. Right. You have other team members on there that's also helping you tear down and making sure that when you do tear it down, you're doing it by the book. Yeah. Yeah. When you tear it down, you're, you're making sure it's done correctly <clears throat> and annotated, make sure when we do put it back together, all the parts go in the same spot. Okay. So you're not, you know, one screw is supposed to be down here and right. it's over here, yeah. and all of a sudden it goes flying, and then a screw goes flying out. We, we have experience building a pergola at your house. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> follow the instructions. You follow the instructions. My, my main, uh, my main role was uh, I legally changed my name for that weekend to Emmanuel for Emmanuel Labor. Uh, Mark would tell me what to do, what to mm-hmm. screw in, and uh, was it the third panel or so we put in? Yeah, but so, to your credit, I was going to skip a spot because uh, <laughs> the panels had the protective plastic underneath. Yes, and I, we put it on there, and it wasn't taken off, and you're like. With your OCD, you're like, oh, we got to take this off because it was a totally different color. Yes, it was that green. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it's it's a, still a process of definitely. following directions, correct? Staying on track and then uh, communicating, communicating definitely because yeah. you know you're always going to miss something. Yeah, you know, and uh, <clears throat> you know, and then you go through tear it apart, you replace the seals, the oils, the packings, whatever you need to do, whatever upgrades mean. Maybe uh, there's something broke on there, like a line. You can replace the line. You get it back into working condition. All the torques are correct. Parts in the correct spot. Then you send it off to a testing facility where they run the engine up like a, a, like on a helicopter and make sure it runs correctly, kind of like a tune-up. Yeah. You know, and you go in there and you make sure it's all good. And once it gets that blessing, you send it out into the in a can, ship it out to the um, to the squadron that needs it, and they take the old engine off, put another one, and then come back a new engine to continue doing. Yeah. You know, and it, it's it's. Uh, I made it sound like a little easier than what it is. Yeah, yes, you did. But it's pretty. Uh, it's time consuming. It's meticulous. You got to you know exactly know, um, kind of know what you're doing. You know, and part of me thought as you were explaining that when you said put it back out, you know, mm-hmm. to 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 be to use to be used. Yeah, yeah. I thought, man, that that's a lot of pressure. Like it, it li- literally, you have men and women's lives mm-hmm. in your hands. You also got to remember too these these people who are fixing these engines and sending them out. They're between the ages of 17 and 25. So they're fresh out of high school. They're, they're still kids. Yeah. And they're learning to be become you know young adults yeah. pretty quickly, realizing there's something bigger than me. Which several thoughts come to mind is what a responsibility. What, a huge what, what responsibility, a yes. privilege and burden, mm-hmm. challenge. 
But at the same time, I believe, and I think you share the same thoughts, that most people in life will rise or fall to our expectations of them. Definitely. You know, definitely. If, if a lot of our youth, if we're told, well, you're not ready for that yet, you can't play varsity yet, you're only a freshman, you're not good enough, fast enough, big enough, strong enough. If we feed that into them, they're going to believe they have to be a certain age or at a certain point in their life to be successful at that level. Right. And sometimes that's the case, but very often it's not. Right. Like, like you just said, you're taking young men and young women fresh out of high school, mm-hmm. given the correct guidance and mm-hmm. tools and skill sets and all that, they are doing amazing things. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. So the, cor- the correlation between building and rebuilding an engine or a football team, you know, Mark had asked me to touch on. Or baseball. Okay. <laughs> Where's your baseball? He's not prepared. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Or baseball, or thank you, no. uh, or rebuilding any any sports program. Mm-hmm. Um, you had asked me to touch on when I came here at Coronado. Uh, really, there there was a machine, Coronado mm-hmm. football, um, and that machine had some moving parts and pieces. And when I took over as the head coach, <coughs> one of the first things I did was really yeah, I'm gonna stretch this a little bit, but open up the, up the manual. What I did was I sat down with the returning coaches mm-hmm. and said, all right, wh- what are your pieces? You know, who, who, who coaches this position? Who coaches right. this position? And had to change some of those. You know, I'm more of an offensive guy, so I had to say to uh, one of the coaches that had been the offensive coordinator, okay, what other skill sets do you have? Where can you fit into this, this piece there? And that, uh, that gentleman actually happened to be Coach Davis, mm-hmm. who taught talk about, you know, Selfless leader, yes. someone that doesn't have a title, and I, I did make him assistant head coach, and he was flattered, and you didn't have to. I said, "Well, no, I didn't have to, but I certainly should have because he right. does so much for Definitely. our program. Nothing but love and respect for him as, as a man and as a coach." Um, I uh, sat down with the returning coaches and said, "All right, you know, how has this machine run in the past?" Mm-hmm. And they shared the history of Coronado football and where it had been and, and where it was that moment when I took over. But there were some changes that had to be made, mm-hmm. and, and welcome changes, fortunately, by the coaches that were staying on, because um, that can always, that could go either way. That, Definitely, that could oh, be yeah. an ugly situation. Um, but it really was, you know, looking at the pieces, taking it apart, and rebuilding it. Um, and you know, one of the words or phrases that comes to mind for me uh, is addition by subtraction. Sometimes, um, as technology increases and as engineers learn more and do more, they realize computers that wouldn't normally fit in this room when computers first came out right. now fit in the palm of our hand. Mm-hmm. You know, And sometimes less is more. Um, I've been on coaching staffs before where you have uh, what seem at a high school level like college coaching staffs. And you think, why do we need all these guys around here? And sometimes you don't. Sometimes right. you don't need all those cooks in the kitchen. And sometimes as you dig a little deeper, you realize, all right, they each play their part and have a certain role. Mm-hmm. Um, here at Coronado, I uh, recreating, rebuilding the culture um, meant getting to know the working pieces, getting to know the men on my staff, getting to know the most important pieces, the players. Correct. And finding out how I fit in, even though, even though I was the new head coach, if it was my way or the highway, and this is all that we were going to do and I know best, which mm-hmm. is not the case, um, I would have lost a lot of good coaches Definitely. and turned away a lot of good players. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, I came in here and said, all right, here are my skill sets. Here are my strengths. Here are my weaknesses, because mm-hmm. we all have them. Um, here's where I need someone to help me out with technology. 
Right. And with game planning for this part of the game or whatever it may be, um, giving tools to certain members and coaches and mm-hmm. players and say, hey, we need you to help build this. If we're going to build what we want to build, right. this can't, as you mentioned with the engines, it's not a one-man job. Definitely. You it's know? not. Um, you've had experiences uh, as, as a coach at many different levels. Um, have you ever been in the position of rebuilding a program? Uh, I would. I was a piece in building yeah. a program. I would say when I was uh, coaching at Olympian High School, they did have a program, but it was pretty much the first year they actually had the three levels. Okay. Uh, they had uh, the varsity, junior varsity, and also uh, they, that was the first year they had the freshman team. So it was a brand new school building up their baseball program. Okay. So, um, yeah, it, it, and it's tough. You know, you you got to find out, especially when uh, kids are coming into a newer school. Um, and the school's known to be a pretty pretty good academic <clears throat> school. Um, so the kids are coming there. But they also knew playing travel ball and, and playing these other kids that, okay, that, that baseball program hasn't been established yet. Right. So you got to go in there as well, uh, especially a guy that I was a coach in a super, totally separate little league. So all these guys are from a different little league, which is good and bad at the same time. It's good because you have open eyes and open ears and open heart mm. to see what you have. Yep. But it's bad, too, because they come in and you don't know what you have. Right. So it's going to take a little bit, and then you get a little uh, pushback from parents who are, they should be playing here, and they've been through with these kids through All-Stars and growing up where this coach is like, okay, i got to find who fits into my scheme. Yeah. And then how, <clears throat> how I can facilitate them getting in quicker. So and then facilitating them moving up, yeah, into the uh, into the varsity level too. And I, I just tough. I just thought as you were saying that, you know, there's a research and development aspect definitely of, yes. of all things that the way engines are taken apart nowadays mm-hmm. and put back together is right. probably a lot more efficient than definitely. it was 50 years ago yes, or 10 yeah. years ago. True. <clears throat> when I first came um, became a head coach in New Hampshire, the first thing I did was I looked around the state of New Hampshire and said, all right, what's the most efficient engine out there. Mm-hmm. So I went to two of the powerhouses, uh, Pinkerton Academy and Exeter High School, and uh, sat down one-on-one with their coaches, uh, their head coaches, and they were very, very <clears throat> um, available. They made themselves available mm-hmm. to sit down and meet with me. We talked That's about good. on our last podcast. Um, and two of the coaches I asked, or, you know, one I asked of Pinkerton, I said, what, what makes you guys so good? Because they were a perennial powerhouse. And very, uh, with a lot of humility, the coach said, Coach, we have 3,400 students, or 3,600 students. He goes, there's a lot of different, he didn't say pieces, we're talking about engines now, but he said players to choose from. So he could go to any shop he wanted, so to speak, and just choose the best of the best. Wow. Um, And that, as as we built our program in New Hampshire, realized that Pinkerton, that was a lot of their success. They had so many working parts and Mm -hmm. so many pieces to choose from. Exeter High School, um, Billy Ball is the head coach still there. Old school, gruff, blue collar, you know, man of few words, but they ran or still run the single, um, the straight T, not the, the not the double wings, just straight mm-hmm. T. And his philosophy was no blitz, no splits. So he knew how his pieces pieces fit together, just toe to toe, no blitz, you know. <clears throat> um, so I thought, hey, you know, I take over at Bedford, we're gonna run the straight T. Well. It was horrible. It was horrible. Partly because we didn't have the pieces. You know, right. Bedford High School, mm-hmm. the, the clientele, the student body, were a lot of baseball, lacrosse, hockey, basketball players. 
not these no offense but backwoods farm bred right six three six six <laughs> two sixty men can that carry they, two bales of hay on their shoulders <laughs> right yeah. yeah you know in their sleep um, <clears throat> so. As I was rebuilding, uh, not really rebuilding, because Bedford High School is a brand new program, but as I was building the program, I, when I say I, we were building the program, the coaches and I, in Bedford, it was getting to know the parts of the machine mm-hmm. and realizing that we're not going to be, and I'm not a car guy at all, but a Ford Mustang or a Corvette or whatever different analogy I could come up with, um, they have different engines, different working right. pieces. So I realized that if we were going to be successful at Bedford, I needed to look at what type of engine we were going to build. Mm-hmm. Where did I want to be? Did I want to be that bulldozer that Exeter was that just went four yards at a pop and beat mm-hmm. people up and very successfully beat people up? Or we were, were we going to be a team that kind of spread it out a little bit more and use the speed and the athleticism to our advantage? Um, so part of that learning curve for me was getting to know the pieces of the puzzle, right. the piece of the machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a, so with, with getting the pieces, you talk about the players. Um, I would say if you were to get uh, the coaching staff to go into it, would, would that be kind of like the publication to help you build that publication to get those pieces moving together? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, I think Paramount, to, to not above the, the players in the program, but equally as important is getting a cohesive coaching mm-hmm. staff that sees the blueprint. See, and I love that we're talking about this now because it, it, it excites me to see the vision. And I could have the clearest vision and the strongest why as a head coach. But if the other coaches on our staff don't know what my vision is and mm-hmm. don't know what the why is, and as coaches move and as coaches evolve and change, um, it's important for me to make sure they continue to see that blueprint right. and give them a voice and say, here's our machine. This is what I believe in. Mm-hmm. This is why we're successful and going to continue to build. And then pause and say, what do you see? Right. When you look at this, how do you see we could be more efficient? How do you see we could work better as, as a cohesive unit? Right. Um, I think it's important. I also, you know, it's funny because I'm a firm believer. Um, actually, you and I were just talking uh, just before we got started. I called my wife. And uh, she said, oh, I, I paid the, the truck bill. And okay. <laughs> completely, you know, slipped my mind. And uh, thank God for her in many, many levels, many reasons. Mm-hmm. But she's the one that will often remind me, hey, your truck, your truck needs an oil change or right. something. And man, if it wasn't for her, that, that engine, engine would seize and, and just yeah. not, not a good thing. Because that light doesn't mean anything when it comes on. No, I put, I put duct tape <laughs> over it. Light comes it's on. so I put, bright I, at I, night. I blinding me. It. I can't drive. If I start hearing a weird sound in my... I heard, I heard a comedian. I don't remember who he was, but he was talking about uh, car, cars and knowledge of cars. And he had said that you know, when he hears a strange sound coming out of his vehicle, mm-hmm. he does what most men do. He turns the radio up. Right. When the sound gets so loud that he just can't bear it anymore, mm-hmm. he does finally breaks down and buys a larger stereo. So, uh, <laughs> Bigger speakers. Yeah, that, that would be me. Um, <laughs> but it reminds me now as we're talking about this that once you do rebuild an engine to a helicopter, mm-hmm. once you do rebuild a football program, there's maintenance that's got to happen. One hundred percent, and that's probably the most important part of it is keeping it. Yeah, well, well, even well. even let, let's let's take it to uh, to your present day job as a firefighter. I mean, I'm guessing it's a, probably a daily routine that you or other coworkers mm-hmm. check the equipment on the truck, correct? Yes, and make sure that at any given moment when you're called out 
of this of the house, the station house, or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. um, that you can go out there and save lives and literally do your job that so many of us take for granted. Definitely, you know. Yeah. And here in Coronado, it's an interesting. It's a blessing. We have the North Island Naval Base, but. You have players and families come and go, mm-hmm. you know. So if, if I'm not looking to empower and build up and coach, really just coach every single level and every single player, you're going to have players that move away mm-hmm. that you can't just rely on your studs to keep being studs. Right. You right. have to keep pouring into them and, and greasing and oiling up the machine mm-hmm. so that all parts can be a functioning part of the machine. Definitely. Yeah. Um what uh, what's been one of the biggest? We didn't even have this up there, but uh, one of the biggest mistakes you've ever made, as as an engineer in the Navy, as a firefighter, or as a coach in rebuilding a engine, an engine or machine, or biggest team. mistake. Oh man, way to put me on the spot. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and if you want, I can go first. Yeah, you go first because uh, you know. There's been so many. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Which well, one in, in the all seriousness, and, and then I, I love putting Coach Ty in the spot because. Yeah. As he reflects, I try really hard in all seriousness to really listen to your response. Mm-hmm. But then it always scares me a little bit because I'm like, wait a minute. And we ended our last episode yeah. without having you turn the tables on me. Because I was like, <laughs> he gave such a great answer about leadership and people he had had in his life. Mm-hmm. And as you were talking, I was listening, but I was thinking to myself, gosh, who's mine? Yeah. So I'll think more about that later. Uh-huh. But, but I'll turn the tables on myself. I, I think one of the biggest mistakes I know I made in rebuilding a program um, was holding on to, to pieces of that puzzle, pieces of the machine, for too long. Mm. And what I mean by that is, there was a young man my first year as head co- as coach here, as head coach, you were here, um, that I had to let go of. He, was, he, he wasn't a right fit for what we were trying to build. And it broke my heart. And I really, you know, and my players didn't see this, but the coaches saw this afterwards. I was like a 13-year-old schoolgirl afterwards crying because I believe so strongly in what we do here. Right. There's so much more mm-hmm. than just a game. It was so hard to let him go. And, and I stand by this, and I've been in touch with him since, and I know it was the right decision for him and for our program. Um, but in the past, when I was a head coach in Bedford, there were probably some athletes I held on to because they were such good athletes right. that maybe should have been – Cut. And I'm not all about cutting players from programs. I'd rather try to pour into them and help them make some changes mm-hmm. they need to make to help them become better people. But uh, I think sometimes as coaches we lose sight of that and we think, well, they're such an important part of the puzzle right. because they look so nice, they're so shiny, and mm-hmm. they just fit so perfectly. Yep. But the character or what they're doing outside of football around town is really a cancer to the program and especially to the younger players. So I, I know for, without a doubt, you know, some of the mistakes I've made in the past were holding on to pieces of that puzzle or the machine that really weren't the best fit. Right. You know, uh, now reflecting back, and it just popped in my head right before you finished, is uh, uh, I think I shared this on an earlier podcast, but, you know, uh, growing up, not growing up, but my oldest son going through uh, baseball, and I was, I'm big into baseball, I love it, and I was really hard on him. Yeah. Too hard, um, pushing him too much, pushing him to something to where, um, pretty much living, trying to live through him my years, yeah. you know, and it's, and trying to push him a little harder and harder and harder where to the point to where he almost quit playing baseball. And that alone yeah. right there, with him, a couple of friends of mine and my wife kind of pointed, really pointed it out to me and being able to sit back and reflect on it, um, that was probably one of my biggest mistakes because I think it did him a disservice yep. in his future playing years. Um, 
going into adult, but we have since talked about it. I was just going to ask that. Yeah, we have talked about I'm it, that, and I have apologized um, many times about it um, to him. Um, but uh, and he's always accepted my he's accepted my yeah. apology. Of course, you know we're still friends. Yeah, <laughs> he's a great young man. Yeah, and uh, your boys. Out. I agree. Thank you. Um, but uh, I think that that was my biggest mistake is going through. It. But I've also learned a lot from it. I think a lot from our mistakes that we've learned, like from you from Bedford, um, being able to um, accept those mistakes, fix them, move on, and be able to learn and teach other coaches or other players. You yeah. know, it doesn't have to be like this. It's yeah. not all about that. So um, I'm, I'm going to one up you here just with another mistake. What? I, no way. Just, just with another That's mistake. Weird. I know. Um, <laughs> My, my my looking back, uh, I know that my first few years coaching, I wanted to be liked by everyone. Yeah, and, and, mm-hmm. and, and we we know there's a difference between being liked by everyone and respected, mm-hmm. and truly loving players and loving them hard enough to be honest with them and, mm-hmm. and to not ignore certain things they're doing or to let slide certain things that you know. Um, I've now learned over the years that it is better for everyone, everyone to have those tougher conversations. The earlier the better, face-to-face conversations yes. with a young man or a coach that you see is is hurting the program or the machine and giving them that option, saying, listen, I want you here. Mm-hmm. I love you as a person. I want you here. But if you're going to be part of this, we've got to change some things. Right. And it's kind of like, you know, how do you make a diamond? Well, through mm-hmm. a lot of pressure. You know, and how do you polish it? Through a lot of, you know... Mm-hmm. Elbow grease. Elbow grease yeah. and, and rough sandpaper, whatever mm-hmm. they use. I'm sure they don't use sandpaper with diamonds. Um, but get, getting that hard work done, mm-hmm. having some friction, having some pushback so it can shine and allowing mm-hmm. players to shine in a way that they wouldn't ever be able to do without that resistance. Definitely. And, and being that, that, that loving coach for them. Yeah, it's definitely like having that tune-up on the car. Change yeah. the spark plug a little bit just to get that timing down. Exactly. You know, and then it's, all it takes is that sometimes it's brutal honesty, yep. you know, but they don't want to hear it. But, you know, the reality is, is like they need to hear it. And, you know, later on in life, they'll definitely be thankful for it. Okay. He was tough on me that one time, but, you know, he was right. Yeah. You know, and, and coach think, was right. I think just like a machine, you know, we have the benefit of the end of a season as coaches mm. to reflect upon the success of the year. And I think all too often, coaches and society looks at, the win-loss columns, yep. whether it was a successful year or not. Mm-hmm. And yes, we want to win. It's a great thing to win. I hate losing. Yes, yes, to keep our jobs at a certain point, even mm-hmm. in youth sports nowadays, mm-hmm. you've got to have a certain level of success. Um, but having those those check-ins, say, right, well, what was our main goal? What was our ultimate goal? Mm-hmm. I know our first year, or my first year here at Coronado, we had only 37, I think it was 37, 39 young men in our program. And at the end of the year, 11 of them were academically ineligible. Oh. That's horrible. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And I, and I took that on myself a little bit and, and as a challenge. Second year, we had high 50s, low 60s players, so we're building our program. We had one young man that was academically ineligible. This year, we hit 70 players, so we're growing and building our program. And only and then everyone was academically eligible. And I love that. And really what it came down to, I won't say his, his name, obviously, but the administration came to me and said, because I had asked for a report, and said, just, just one young man isn't academic, academically eligible. I went to go have that polishing the stone, mm-hmm. tough conversation with him. And uh, he looked at me and said, no, she's wrong. I'm talking about a certain administrator. And I said, listen, I hope you're right. I put in my 20 years coaching experience. Yeah. 
the young man or the administrator usually, you know, long story short, she had made a mistake, oh, which wow. I was thrilled about. And you could see the, the joy and, and just, the, just, just the, the happiness in his face when he found out he was still eligible. And it was such a powerful thing. Um, but you need to have those checkups. You yeah, have to you have definitely those do. Take him to the garage. Get you know to, to look under the hood, so to speak, and mm-hmm. really look at what your ultimate goal is for that machine, mm-hmm. for that vehicle, for that program, and make sure you're still heading in the right direction. All right, definitely. Well, we are at 28 minutes. Hey, yeah, you want to keep quick. it under 30? We're yeah. trying to keep it under 30. Um, I hope you guys uh, get what we love to do. Um, I hope you take our words and uh, apply it to uh, your own and. Uh, not everything we say is going to apply to you, but hopefully you can find what does and uh, bring it to your coaching style and, and uh, your teams. Um, but uh, we're we're here. We enjoy doing this. Yeah. We uh, love sharing our knowledge and uh, our uh, our experiences in our life and our coaching experience. Um, I'm here with Coach Hines, and uh, this was episode 16 uh, for what it's worth coaching podcast. Um, we are sponsored by uh, GameStrat, and Coach Hines will. If you're not familiar with GameStrat, check them out. They are a instant replay company that we've used for three seasons now, um, two seasons now, two. going on a third season. And top top line product. They have sideline cameras, um, end zone cameras. They have play by play breakdown. Their customer service is better than any of ever I've ever seen before. You really, I said in the last podcast. You really get the feeling that you're the only school they're working with because they get back to you so quickly, and it's always one of the main people in the company. The, the, the president, the CEO, the guys that started the whole company are the ones that are talking to you on the phone, and as they grow, I'm sure that won't always be the case, mm-hmm. but uh, they care deeply about their product. They care deeply about the people they work with, so check them out. It's GameStrat. GameStrat. And also, uh, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Facebook. Uh, Hopefully you guys can share us with your friends and family and other coaches that may uh, be inspired by what we have to say here too. So if you could, give us a shout-out. Share us with all your friends and family. And uh, for what it's worth, take it for what it's worth. Stay strong.